Today is a special Sunday for so many reasons because our founding pastor is joining us to preach. His name is Justin Thornton. If you don't know, Justin uh, started Jericho Road Church in a living room some nine years ago, give or take a year. Um, really cool, awesome story that I won't be able to share, but it started in a living room with a handful of people willing to be used by God. And that's really hard to do if you're not totally surrendered to the Lord. And uh, so, and he was with us until uh, about three years ago, and he felt God calling him to plant the church, or help a church get planted in Jersey City. And now that church is up over 100. And uh, yes. That really it, got them. They really like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Uh, and just recently, he accepted a job in Ann Arbor, Michigan. In our denomination, yes. That, so this job, the hundred got a clap, but you accepting the job didn't. <laughs> no, uh, our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, has uh, different regions and called districts. And so he got hired onto our district set staff to oversee church planting in our district, which is over 35 churches. And um, what his heartbeat is now is developing leaders in our district and outside of the districts to come in and plant churches. So he's going to coach people, uh, lead people, and really just start more churches getting planted. And so they thought, who better to hire than somebody who's successfully planted two churches, which is very, very rare. So awesome man of God. I know a lot of you know him. It doesn't need much of an introduction, but amazing preacher. And uh, I'm excited to introduce to you Justin Thornton. Wow. I mean, I, I just looking around, I'm just filled I mean, uh, when when you leave a place, dang, I know we'll get like three seconds in, and I'll start crying already. I literally prayed. I'm like, just, yeah, you know, like, thanks, bro. That's my dude. That's my dude. Look, I, sometimes I try to put off, like, this tough thing, but, like, I watch This Is Us, and I'll cry the entire time. I'm not, I'm not tough. I got a very soft center. Um, it was it was so hard for us to leave here. It just was, and it was the, the ground plowing the ground there was really difficult. Uh, Ann and I moved into an apartment, uh, you know, a little bit over a thousand square feet, with our three kids, and we just thought to ourselves, "What have you done, God? Why, why would you do this to us?" Um, and there were parts that we just were in love with, and God shaped us and molded us. We wanted to quit about four times. Um, but that's every church planter. That's your pastor. He just won't tell you about it. Uh, we, just, we just have wanted to quit. Uh, but God sustained us. And now it's just so good to come back and see all. It's just encouragement inside of our gut, right? Inside of our God gut. We just feel encouraged. And um, we love the vibrancy of this place. Like, I, like I, knew, I knew that this was not built around a family. It was built around a people who, were, who loved each other. And I knew that we were passing it off to a really great leader. Uh, and, and then now I come back and it was, it's all confirmed. I'll just take credit. It's just, it was amazing. <laughs> really great discernment. I'm just kidding. God knows I'm kidding. Um, we missed you. He's going to be right in the way. We missed you and uh, we missed our... You know, kind of the hospitality, the encouragement that is this place. Someone already gave me a coffee. Bridget just came up and, and gave me a coffee. That type of stuff doesn't happen in New York City. Um, it's not the same kind of culture. 
where someone just, hey, love you, here's a pie. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. We miss that. I'm just going to tell you one story to catch you up on like the culture of where we just came from. And I don't want to give off the picture like it's, it's only hard. We love those people to death and we were sad leaving them as well. Um, but like one morning I'm on the train, which is what they call the subway. I'm on the train. We're going to New York City for the day. We have an office in New York City in one of our colleges and it's rush hour. Uh, and, and that means you don't even have pelvic space. Like that should be the cap. Like if nobody has pelvic space, we should just go, you know what? Everybody off. It's too much. Take the next one. There's no pelvic space. You can smell what the person had for breakfast. It's, if you thought that was gross, it, it gets worse. Trust me. So I have nowhere to even hold my hands. You're just balancing on this thing. Uh, no pelvic space. And this dude next to me, he starts to make these like grumbling noises in his throat and nose. I'm really uncomfortable. I'm like, what is happening? And then, this is a very true story, beginning to end. He grabs my fresh coffee from me, just like immediately, because there's like a volcano coming. It's about to erupt. He grabs it from me. He pops the top, the top off, and then he snomits. It's like a snot vomit. I told you it was going to get worse. Like a snot, just right into that thing. I'm not even playing with you. He then puts the cap on and tries to give it back. I said, nah, man, that's you. You've, you've earned that thing. It's all for you. And he's like, okay, I'm sorry. You know, here's $5. Now, you from the Midwest, you'd be like, no, that's okay. No, it's, it's all right. I hope you feel better. I was like, give me that $5. <laughs> So you may think I lost that day, but I started the morning with a bad cup of coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. I ended with an expensive latte from Starbucks, so <laughs> I won the day, all right? That just gives you a picture. I'll tell you a little bit more of what I've been up to. I've been working out, okay? I don't want to hear the snickering, okay? Doesn't look like it. I don't want to hear any of that. I want to tell you about Planet Fitness, and I promise this has something to do with our message today. So if you can, turn to Romans 2 with me. Romans 2, verse 1. Uh, I believe the culture is still here, that this is a participatory sermon. We're in this together. It's more of a cooking class than it is a restaurant, okay? Cooking class, you go, you participate, you get your utensils out, and so the utensils are your Bible. Uh, hopefully you have the, you know, the page flipping going on, or you have a phone, and you can at least get to the spot. Romans 2, 1, if you're brand new to the Bible, uh, just flip to the middle. It, it's the break in the Old Testament, New Testament. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. That's where we're at. We're in Romans. Big number two, little number one. As you turn there, I want to tell you about the culture of Planet Fitness. Planet Fitness is all about this one thing. It's called the no judgment zone, right? It's all over the walls. If you went to the, the CEO or whatever the guy is that runs Planet Fitness, he would tell you we're all about no judgment. We want somebody to walk in there, into the gym, where we all feel insecure and we all feel judged and we don't want you to feel judged, okay? They even have what's called a lunk alarm, okay? Which means if you're that meathead who's like dropping weights and you're like, yeah, they, they ring this like gong on you. And you're like, whoa, I shouldn't do that, okay? It's all about the no judgment zone, okay? Here's the problem with that. I walk up in there and my entire workout, I judge people. 
I don't know if y'all feel this way. You're lying if you don't. But I give about five different people nicknames. Okay? It's terrible. But don't judge me because you'll be part of the problem. All right? But I'll see somebody. I'll just give them a quick nickname. You know, especially the meathead dude with like a really tight shirt. I'll just call him protein powder for the rest of the day. That's it. In my mind, I don't say it to his face. That would be dumb. Okay, I just, in my mind, I judge him deeply. Uh, or I'll watch somebody and I'll be like, uh, I mean, they, they just look like they're, they should be at Walmart, not at the gym, right? They're just wearing clothes. You're like, are you at Walmart or the gym? What are you, what are you, what are you doing? Or you see somebody and you think, it feels like that machine is working you. You're not working that machine. <laughs> Some of you felt that way. And you're wondering, is someone judging me as I'm doing this machine wrong? Yes, me. I'm there judging the entire place. So basically, I, I walk up into a place where it's the no judgment zone. The culture is no judgment. The core value is no judgment. Kind of the centrality of the philosophy of, of this place is it's a no judgment zone. And I spend my time doing the very thing I said or I shouldn't be doing. Maybe, maybe that's how you feel. Uh, I'm friends with this Christian hip-hop artist. His name is NF. Uh, I'm just kidding. He, know, he doesn't know me at all. <laughs> so you bought that way too quickly. I DM'd him once, but that was, he didn't DM me back. But he says this in one of his songs. It'll be on the screen. Church is where I found God, but it's also where I learned to judge. Church is where I found God, or it won't be on the screen. Okay, we do, we do the screen thing here, yeah. Church is where I found God, but it's also where I learned to judge. The very movement that is built on mercy and grace. The very movement that turns missionaries into people on mission. Or I'm sorry, messes into missionaries. I, back, I made that backwards. Messes into people on mission. The very place that was supposed to turn people from the gutter into people living out of grace becomes the central place where we judge folks. It's kind of crazy. It, it should be one of our core values. Judgment should be a swear word in the church, and yet it becomes a central hub for judging. And this place should be a place that is the safest in all the land, pregnant with grace and mercy for every sinner, and yet it becomes the most volatile, hostile place in all the land, pregnant with judgment. It's kind of crazy. But this is what the church has become. And maybe that's your experience in church. You've been judged for what you wear. You've been judged for where you came from. You've been judged for the side of the city that you were on, right? I used to be in Grain Haven, and they used to ask me, where are you from? I'd say Muskegon. They'd be like, ooh. <laughs> Do you need a $5 bill, just something to get you by? No. You get judged just for being where you're from. You get judged for your history, or what you did last Friday night. Maybe you're the judge. Maybe you're the person who's like me and you give people nicknames in the church. You're not opposed to do that, by the way, if you don't know. Or maybe you, you say, you know, to, to the people next to you, I, I know what they did last weekend. Or that person is not a man. I got that real men love Jesus bumper sticker. That person is not a man. I got a Jesus fish on my car, you know. And that kind of props you up. By the way, I, I literally, I bought a car. It had a Jesus fish on it. I took it off because I do not drive like Jesus. And I did not want that pressure. <laughs> like, 
if I accidentally, you know, gave someone a certain thing, I just didn't want the pressure. <laughs> I didn't want Jesus attached to that. But church is where you found God, but it's, and it's also where you learn to judge. Is that you? P Paul is going to speak right to the gut on this topic this morning. Like, are we supposed to judge? Is it in our jurisdiction? Is it, is it part of our job description as Christians? How, if, if we find ourselves feeling judgment bubbling up inside of us, what should we do about it? Paul's going to speak to us on that topic today. Uh, hopefully you're there by now. Uh, I don't know if you could turn me up a little bit. I feel a little bit, a little bit soft. Uh, Paul is going to speak to two different types of people. Now, now, Jim has done a phenomenal job giving you the background and context. Uh, and by the way, if you want to get, if you want to get, you know, kind of the invitation to preach again somewhere, you just kind of bubble up the pastor that's there, and then he invites you back to preach. So Jim is very handsome and dapper, and he's done a great job handling Romans, a very difficult book. Um, but he's done a great job. So I'm not, I'm not going to do the whole background and context thing. If you're new to the Bible, he's speaking to two types of people. Or if you're new to here today, this morning, welcome. He's speaking to two different types of people, Jews and Gentiles. That's what this book is about. Both people are trying to love Jesus. Some have Jewish roots and some don't. And they're the Gentiles. And we're the Gentiles. If you don't know, you're a Gentile. Um, and if you really want to get on your wife's case, you just call her, you Gentile. It's actually a good thing. It's not, it's not a bad thing because uh, Jesus loves us Gentiles. Here we go. Here, here's, here's verse 1. Don't call her that, by the way. Some of you take me way too seriously. You, therefore, have no excuse. You, therefore, have no excuse. Pause button. Who is you. Paul is doing a pivot, okay? We're all my Friends fans from the 90s. Who watches Friends? Yes. If you're a Friends fan, just turn to a neighbor and tell him, pivot. pivot. Just tell him real quick. Paul is doing a pivot. He's going from the Gentiles to the Jews. So he spoke to the Gentiles last week. By the way, the Gentiles are people who don't have what's called the Mosaic Law. They didn't grow up with the law given to Moses. They don't know it. They haven't memorized it like the Jews did. They don't really know how to obey Jesus yet. So, in other words, they weren't in God's family until Jesus dies for them and grafts all of us Gentiles into his family. So they don't really know better in a lot of cases. He pivots to the Jews and he says, you. You know, like when you're talking to your older kids, you, you know better. You, you, you have the history of our family. You know what our family means when we say don't do this. You know better. So he pivots and he talks to the Jews and he says, look, you have no excuse. You have the law. You grew up in, in the heritage of understanding the law of God and what God means by the law. Now, God has come, Jesus has come to die for everybody and redeem the law, and now the law is really summed up in the person of Jesus, and it's summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Now we have a much simpler form of the law, but you, you know even the Ten Commandments. You, you memorize the Pentateuch. You memorize the Torah. You, sh you should know these things but you're still screwing up. How are they screwing up? You, therefore, have no excuse. You pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Profound. The moment that you judge somebody else, you are simultaneously, congruently, judging yourself. You're condemning yourself. 
You know, when, you, when your grandma or somebody threw that, that, that sharp phrase at you, you know, when you point one finger at somebody else, you got three pointed back at yourself. And you're like, Grandma, that's corny, but you're right. You got me. You, you totally got me. That's what Paul's saying. You're judging someone else, but congruently you're judging yourself at the same time. Why? Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Next verse on the screen. You who pass judgment do the same things. I'm going to move fast here. I got 16 verses. Holler with me here, guys. Here we go. Okay. There it is. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. There's more. What are the same things? Let's go back to last week. This is 129. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. Thank you. Evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. So Jericho Road Church, here's what he's saying. You judge them, but you do it too. You judge them, but you do it too. And you don't have an excuse because you know the law. You should have known better. I'm going to give you a test this morning. Some of you are excusing yourself from the scripture. You're like, this is not me. I'm just going to give you a quick test, okay? Have you ever gossiped about a gossiper? Huh? Huh? You're like, now Sandy, she's a gossip. She's, she's running her mouth all over the place. And the person that you're with isn't like, isn't that just, you know, they're like, that, that feels like gossip itself. How about this one? Maybe this didn't get you. The, the next word, if, can you go to the next slide where they're kind of highlighted? Let, let's pick arrogant there, okay? Another word for that is prideful. You ever caught yourself prideful about your humility? Oh, Jimmy, well, he's, he's full of pride. Me, I'm humble. Uh, you know, I don't know. All right, this is going to get deep, and you're not going to laugh about this one. This is fidelity, okay, which means faithfulness to one person uh, or faithfulness to God, okay, just, j- just him alone. Um, have you ever caught yourself judging someone for committing adultery, but you, say, watched porn the night before? It's not the same thing. Are you sure? Are you sure God didn't say, if you lust in your heart, it's the same thing? It's committing adultery. How about this? Uh, Pastor Jim uh, talked about homosexuality last week. Do, Do you ever catch yourself judging someone else's lifestyle, but you are, I don't know, having marital intimacy outside of the marriage covenant? So you're having sex outside of a covenant that God built in marriage. It's not the same thing. Are you sure? Are you sure it's not all sexual immorality? Are you sure it's not all outside of God's intention for marriage? He says, you judge them, but you do the very same thing. And so when, when you're judging them, you, you have to understand you're bringing heaping coals of judgment on your own head, in your own lap, the proverb says. Look, typically when someone's sin is standing before you, it's not so that you can stand in judgment, it's so that you can kneel in repentance. That's why God made that person's sin available for you to see. 
not so that you can stand in judgment, but so that you can kneel in repentance, knowing that your heart needs to soften. You do some very similar things. You sin in just a different version, but it's the same Netflix show. It's episode two, it's not one, but it's the same show. Back to Planet Fitness, because I'm a Planet Fitness genius, I've been there for a whole three weeks. Okay. <laughs> if you've ever been to a gym, there is mirrors everywhere. And some of you guys judge folks because they stand in the mirror. But look, the, the mirror is there for one of two things. You can use the mirror, or another word for mirror is truth, right? because it's revealing who you are. You can use that mirror for vanity, right? For vanity or form. Those are the two choices. Now, if you've, if you've been a gym rat, like I, I've been a gym rat before, you know that form is everything. Form's everything. That's the reason you look in the mirror, because you need to know that you're not going to blow out your back, that you're doing it right, that you're not moving your elbows, that you're not using your back. These are all things that you need. Form is everything. So you can use that mirror for vanity, you've seen those people, or form. So here comes this, this sin, this truth. You see it in that person. You can use that for one of two things. Vanity or form. And you can humble yourself before God and go, wow, we, we are a sinful people. I do the very same thing. Now married folk, get this. Because you'll roll up to God as a husband or a wife and you'll go, listen, my wife is doing this, that, and the other. And God will tell you, you did this on Tuesday, that on Wednesday, and you were all up in the other on Friday. Right? Any married folk in the room? Give me the uh. Okay? Come on now. This is what you do. And God's like, hold on. I, I didn't show you that sin so that you could judge her. I showed you that sin so that you could pray with her and pray for yourself. Next, next verse. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? In other words, God is the only judge. He did not invite you onto his judgment seat. And there's an eternal number of reasons why God is the only judge. I'm going to give you two. They'll be on the screen for you. One, <clears throat> excuse me, for some reason... I'm going back through puberty. I didn't have this problem until I came here. God is humbling me before you to go back through puberty. Number one, he said that he is. That's why he's judge. He said he is. In other words, you're, in, you're uninvited to be a part of this team of judgment. And when he says something, it happens, right? You think about creation and the authority behind his voice when he says, I want the sun, moon, stars, humanity to be created. It just happens. That's the authority behind the voice of God. And so when he says, I want to create the judicial system of the planet and I make myself, I appoint myself the judge, it happens. He does not put that in your jurisdiction or your job description. He says, I'm the judge. You're uninvited from that possibility. The second reason is his vision is clear, ours is not. You're unqualified. You are a very subjective human being. You will never be objective. And this runs so deep, you don't even know, right? 
I mean, there's so many things clouding our judgment. Like my buddy was making uh, us some spaghetti so- uh, squash the other night. He's got glasses. He opens up the oven. It fogs his glasses. He can't see. People with glasses know the struggle is real, okay? Struggle is real. So th- this is, as soon as I saw him with that, I just, I just had this revelation. Like, this is how I feel like we live. We, we're always fogged up, right? We have biases. We have subjection. All these things are ruined. We have sin. Uh, we have infatuation, emotion, pain. We're offended easily. We have false worship. We're either too woke or not woke enough, right? We're either politically driven, preference-driven, or, or consumer-driven. Like some of you are so clouded by your politics. I, I heard a pastor just recently say this week, you were never called to worship the donkey or the elephant. You were only called to worship the lamb. And I was like, ooh, that's good. Now, I might be a little offended because the first time you clapped was for that other pastor's quote. <laughs> His name's Rich Velotis. He's a great preacher. Look him up. That some of your politics are just clouding everything that you got. God wants you to be clouded by his thoughts on politics, on that issue. Some of you are just so biased to your family members, like your kids. My son is going to the NBA. No, he's not, Bertha. (laughs) Timmy is five foot seven standing on a stool. He's not going to the NBA. He's not even going to win the league at the YMCA. He's not even close, okay? Or the reason that the first two episodes of American Idol happens, right? The, the, the episodes where these horrible people are singing on camera is because someone very biased told them, you're fantastic. Go on TV. You're one of the best. No, they're one of the worst. They're going to make a fool of themselves. All because of your bias. Me and Jimmy were talking on the way here today. We're, we were talking about those Netflix specials where they're like, interviewing, uh, uh, you know, someone on death row, and they're interviewing their family, and their family's like, oh, he was a fantastic person. He would never hurt a fly. He went on a killing spree. (laughs) So do you think you're a little bit biased? Do you think subjection is clouding your judgment just a tiny bit, right? This is who we are, and we don't even know it. I've heard people tell me, I'm not prejudiced. I have one black friend. Oh, that hardly qualifies you to be released from prejudice, you know? You know, this is who we are, though. Therefore, we are unqualified. Our judgment goggles are not clear. We do not have clear vision. So God says, I'm the judge. There is a judgment day. I'm the judge. You are not. You're uninvited. And that's mostly because you're not qualified and you're not God. Next verse. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? In other words, God's kindness, his gospel is a catapult. What does it lead you to? What does it catapult you into? Does it catapult you into judgment or maybe more sin? You feel like I got to, you know those people, they got a sin hall pass now. God loves me, I'm going out tonight. You know, it's like, they got a sin hall pass. Is that where God's kindness leads you to? Or does it lead you to repentance? Repentance. 
Verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up, a lot of scripture, stay with me, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they've done. To those who, who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Did you know that? I know we're, we're preaching this self-reliant gospel these days where every, every preacher gets up and they feel like you're gym coach. Hey, Bob, you're going to do it. Jesus is going to bless your plans. It just doesn't feel like there's wrath or judgment in God's plans when there is. It, it depends on what you've done with the gospel that you've given. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. He doesn't have a problem with that. God does not have a problem with favoritism. His glasses are clear. His, his judgment is clear. He, he, he loves those uh, who, who are existing on the planet in front of his face, but he will for sure figure out with objectivity who followed his gospel and who did not. Who responded to his gospel and who did not. Like, did it create repentance for you or did it create judgment for you? Last bit of scripture, all who part, or all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who are declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by, do by a nature things required by the law, they are a law themselves, even, they, or even though they did not have the law. Excuse me. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences, also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, at other times peop, uh, uh, even defending them. This will take place on the day of, uh, when God's people, when, excuse me, when God, Jimmy maybe preached through 16 verses, okay? It's his fault. <laughs> the day when God's, God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Let me try to wrap these 16 verses up as best as I can with a little bow. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is a fork in the road. The good news of Jesus is a fork in the road. That Jesus died for you, resurrected for you, whoever you are, wherever you are, whenever you are in the time spectrum. The Father, His Son, and the Holy Spirit are deeply in love with you, and they bring you the gospel, which is that you were too sinful to pick yourself up from death. But Jesus threw death on His back and died for you. That truth is a fork. So you can go this way. Let's say the left is bad. And you can start judging people. Oh, God loves me. <laughs> I've earned my salvation. I've earned my religion. You start living in this, uh, this, this good news of earning your religion as opposed to, you know, this grace of I can't earn anything. You come over here and you start judging people. You got nicknames for people. You start gossiping about people. Look, you went the wrong way. Or this way is God's grace and mercy is so stinking overwhelming. I was such a mess that he saved me and rescued me. And now I live in what we're gonna call eventual joyful obedience. 
look, this way always leads to one, one destination. Joyful, faithful, eventual obedience. Always. If you want to know which way did I go, check your obedience meter. Do you care about being, being obedient to God? Do you care about following Him? Or do you just care about yourself? If you care about yourself and you care about judging people, you went the wrong way. If you care about obedience, regardless of the cost, you went the right way. I know people who move to all sorts of the worst places on the planet to be obedient to God. I'm not saying you got to move to the worst place on the planet, but would you? That's where this fork in the road leads. Which, which way does it lead you? All roads lead to eventual obedience on this side. All roads lead to a judgmental, pharisaical heart on this side. Um, I'm going to get really weird this morning, if I haven't already. And we're going to title today's message something, again, weird, but I have two little girls. Uh, and so we're going to title today's message, Goldilocks and Snow White. Okay? Goldilocks and Snow White. Again, don't judge me. Don't be part of the problem. And number two, I have two little girls, and I love them, love them deeply, okay? So Goldilocks and Snow White, my, my main sole question of the day is, which one are you? Are you Goldilocks or are you Snow White? Which one are you? Um, I, I need to catch you up because most of you haven't read Goldilocks and the Three Bears in the last two months, okay? I'll catch you up. Goldie is audacious. Goldie rolls up in someone's house and she starts eating folks' porridge. <laughs> the type of audacity you must have. She's sitting in people's chairs. She's sleeping on their beds, right? If this wasn't a fairy tale, she'd have significant B&E charges. But it is a fairy tale, so it's okay. She rolls up in there. And, and the innate thing that's happening inside of GL, we'll give her some nicknames. GL is sitting where she's not supposed to sit. Right, and you think about Papa Bear comes home. Ooh, Papa Bear comes home. Papa Bear's been, who's eating my porridge? Who's sleeping in my bed? And this is the one that always gets me because every father has a chair. Who's sitting in my chair? <laughs> right? I'm a father, I got a chair. I paid for it with my own hardworking money. And so if I come home after a long day and my kids in my chair swinging their feet, there's gonna be a problem. That's my chair. Every father knows it. Every father's got one 40 years old. It's dirty. It's smelly. The wife wants it out of the living room. It's puke green. But every father's like, whoosh, I'm good. That's all I need. Right? So Goldie comes in, and Goldie's sitting in the father's chair. And some of you do the same thing. That's the father's chair. The chair of judgment is not your chair. That's the father's chair. Why are you sitting in the Father's chair? Back to verse 2 and 3. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human, you're a mere human being, uh, you're a human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things. Do you think you will escape God's judgment? Stop sitting in the Father's chair. The reason that you're sitting in the Father's chair is very simple. You think that you are more religious, that you are better than them. That's it. Like, if you're a judge, it means that you are at a different level than a different human being. 
I mean, you ever walk into a, a courtroom? You walk in there, and where's the judge seat? In the middle, up high. And they're like, all rise, and you're like, give me a break. All right, yeah, sure. Let's all bow down. Like, who is this guy? You know, he walks in with his robe. You may be seated. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't do anything. I'm here to watch, okay? <clears throat> Maybe I did do something, I don't know. Anyways, that's where a judge sits. That's where you sit. Innately, you, you think deep down your sin is less than their sin. You think deep down you are more religious, you are better, you are more loved than they are. And therefore, every smoke leads back to a fire. Okay, follow this smoke. This is where this started. You don't understand the gospel of Jesus. Because the gospel of Jesus is that you couldn't earn a thing. The gospel of Jesus is that you don't have what it takes. You couldn't resurrect yourself. You couldn't die for yourself. You couldn't tattoo that laundry list of sins on your own back and climb up the hill of death and die for yourself. Only Jesus could do that. Only God could count you righteous. So how could you sit in the Father's chair and judge somebody else? Now there's a way out of that. And we'll talk about that at the end. We're going to get real practical. Some of you are thinking, isn't that the end? We're getting there, I promise, I promise. Let's talk about Snow White first. Ah, Snowy. Snowy's good, okay? Snowy takes a poisonous fruit from the witch. That sound familiar? All right, because some of y'all don't appreciate good metaphor. I came up with that, I'm like, oh, that's good. Uh, Preachers don't usually tell you that they they catch themselves in a quiet space, like, ooh, that's good. Uh, She eats poisonous fruit. She's dead in the middle of the forest, rigor mortis, somehow still looking cute. I don't know how that works. Disney is Disney. She's in like some sort of glass case. Y'all seen this? What what is this? Who put her in the glass case? Okay, she's in the forest. She's only going to resurrect from the dead with what? True love's kiss. She can't resurrect herself. She can't pick herself up like Jesus. She's not going to zombie that thing. I mean, this ain't going to happen. The only thing that's going to happen is some Italian Thor-looking dude <laughs> comes here and he, and he gives her a kiss and she resurrects from the dead. Now, what that's going to lead to, if you're not taking notes, is eventual joyful obedience. Right? Because when she gets back and they're, they're living happily ever after, and I'm just going to ask you this, this theoretical question. Say the Italian Thor prince guy, or I don't know what his name is, say he's like, hey, hey, boo, could you, could you make some dinner tonight? Not like in an Italian, uh, you know, uh, like a, uh, what do you call it, toxic masculinity way, okay? It's this way, could you just make some dinner tonight, please? What do you think she's going to do? She's going to make some dinner. You saved my life. And it's eventual joyful obedience to the Savior, the rescuer. Are you Goldilocks or are you Snow White? Do you find yourself in joyful obedience? Not doing stuff out of religion, not joining that team because you want God to think that you're good, or, but joining that team because you told God, I'm so in love with you and what you've done for me that I, I just can't wait to serve you. Whatever it is, I'll do whatever it is. Eventual joyful obedience. Which one are you? 
Now, if you're not there this morning, if you're like, I, I feel like I'm Goldilocks um, and might be one of the three bears, I'm not really sure, uh, but you're, you're, that's where you're at this morning. I want to just give you three practical ways out of this on the way out of here, okay? And we're almost done. Three ways to be Snow White, if you're taking notes. Three ways to be Snow White. Number one, confess your way back to humility. When you become a follower of Jesus, about every checkpoint along the way, two, three months in, you'll start getting away from humility. And you'll start aiming for religion. Or you'll start, you'll start aiming toward earning your own righteousness. And you need to confess your way back to humility. Meaning, you need to really confess. Like, don't just get alone and open up your journal and go, God, I feel like I'm prideful sometimes. Come on, that ain't it. That's not even a confession. That's a cut. We used to, as an elder team, I used to make fun of us. Because as, as an elder team, we used to get around, we used to do some confession time. And we used to be like, oh, I'm struggling with some things. I'm winning some battles and I'm losing some others. It's like, no, no, that's not a real confession. Let's get up in this thing. Huh? What'd you really do? You know, that's the way. You, tell God what you really did. If you're prideful, where are you prideful? Where did it come from? Confess deeply. And at some point, your, your love for the gospel, your love for grace and mercy will be so filling that you'll squeeze judgment out of your life. Your table will be so full of grace that there will be no seat for judgment. Remember Forrest Gump? Seat's taken. I couldn't do the accent, so just don't even let me try. The grace is going to be so good in your life. Every time judgment comes along, seat taken. It's not there. There's no room. God is too good for me to judge somebody else. I need him too much. Confess your way back to humility. Number two, watch out for plank eye. Uh, my family has this saying in our house uh, where we call each other plank eye. If they're being a plank eye, we say you're being a plank eye. Relax. Th that comes from Jesus' talk where Jesus tells the people, why are you so focused on a speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye when you've got a plank in your own. And if you're looking at a speck of sawdust in somebody else's eyes, it means you're so far up in their business. You're so far concentrating on their sin that you don't even see you've got a giant plank, hang, a, a two-by-four, Home Depot, one of the crooked ones that you don't buy. That thing's coming out your eye, you know? Look at you. This is you. <laughs> You gotta watch out for that. Again, remember, this mirror of sin is for you to recognize your own stuff. And get some people in your life will be like, you're being a plank guy. I know you're calling them out all the time, but this is who you are, so relax. And you don't need to start that in your family that we may, we won't be able to tell our kids that in like two years. It works now, but it's okay. Uh, number three, choose empathy over apathy. Choose empathy over apathy. We get really apathetic. How many of you know those Christians on Facebook who are just apathetic? Everybody's a sinner. The entire world sucks. I'm amazing. Here's a Bible verse. You know, this is, they're just apathetic. Uh, choose empathy. The reason that someone's sinning, look, sin usually comes from pain. And if you spend more time trying to discover someone's pain, you'll spend less time judging their outcome. 
because your empathy will draw you into what brought them there in the first place. And instead of judging them, you'll pray for them. Instead of judging them, you'll mentor them. Right? Instead of condemnation, you'll disciple them because you'll have empathy for their pain. And you'll be an empathetic person instead of a judgmental person. Choose empathy over apathy. Look, I, uh, once I got this passage, worship team, come on up here. Is that how we do things? Yep, 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 yep. Once I got this passage, um, I started realizing, without even trying, how much I judge people. I have a feeling this will happen to you this week. Because your judgment alarm goes off pretty quick. Once you have the idea of judgment in your brain, you'll realize I judge people about 160 times a week. You know? I don't know if you guys get the, like your phone gets the, what you did all week thing on Sunday. I get the, it tells me how much, uh, how much I've been on my phone all week and it's like depressing. That's what happened with judgment this week. I realized how much I judge people and it's what you do with that. Do you confess your way back to humility? Do you realize that you're being a plank eye? Do, Do you choose empathy instead? I got a lot of work to do. Anybody else? Raise your hand if you got a lot of work to do. Let's work together. I'll pray. Love you, Jesus. It's so good to be back with my church family here. I thank you for the job that they've done to continue this movement forward. It's so good to just see these familiar faces. Um, I think we needed this. I didn't even know how much me and Ann really needed this, but I know that we needed it now. And so it was your grace, your grace and your mercy to bring us here and, how, and, and bring us around our family once again. And we're just grateful. We're not just here for the chili. God, let me just confess that I am a Captain Judgy Pants. I judge people all the time. And I got my own stuff. And I know your, your movement, your movement of Christianity is built on unity around one spirit. And I feel like that judgment just grieves the Holy Spirit. And so we ask for a filling of your Holy Spirit and an exiting of the judgment in our heart. And we will rely on you for the grace and the mercy that you give us. God, I can't wait to be around my family more often here. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.